Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. must know. Can you say that with me this morning? You ready? People must know. Baptist scholar uh, Carl F.H. Henry once wrote, he said this, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. People must know because if they don't hear the gospel and if they don't know the gospel, then they can never be saved through the gospel and they will face eternity bearing the weight and the penalty and the condemnation of their sins. People must know. You see, regardless of the nuances of your doctrine of salvation, we should all agree that nobody is saved unless they first hear the gospel. Apostle Paul, he said this so plainly to us. Romans 10, 14, he said, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Therefore, people must know. Now, what if? I said a moment ago when I was reading there in Matthew chapter 2 that God didn't keep it a secret. But what if God had told you and me to keep it a secret? (laughs) Wouldn't you agree with me that that would be one of the hardest things in the world to do? Keeping a secret is hard. Don't you just hate it when somebody tells you something that's, that's good, that's juicy? You're thinking, oh, I can't wait to tell somebody. Somebody has to know this. And then they usually say something like, listen, listen, you can't tell anybody. And inside you're going, no. <laughs> but usually you end up saying something like, okay, all right. I won't tell anybody. I, I promise. Cross my heart, hope to die, right? <laughs> but that's easier said than done, isn't it? And actually, when you think about it, that's, that's a reflection of our brokenness. When we say, I will keep a secret, we often don't. That's a, magna, that, that's a manifestation, a reflection of our brokenness. We struggle to keep secrets. But praise God, God, he, he, he did not tell us to keep his word, his good news of Jesus Christ a secret. But also in that is another manifestation of our brokenness. It's a manifestation of our brokenness on steroids because here the deal is, If God had told us to keep it a secret, we would probably tell everybody. We'd be the biggest gospel sharers on the planet. But God told us to tell everybody. To go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that uh, Jesus had commanded us. And in the befuddledness of our brokenness, we more often than not keep it to ourselves. We tell what we shouldn't tell, and we don't tell what we should tell. Eastwood, what's up with that? What's up with that? Well, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, this morning, the day after Christmas Day, I'm calling you to throw off the brokenness of that mindset. I'm calling you to put that aside because people must know, and we must tell them So here's today's takeaway, very simple. Tell everybody, everywhere, at every opportunity, the Savior has come. This is a phrase 
that has resonated with me for several months now. Tell everybody everywhere at every opportunity, the Savior has come. That's today's takeaway. I want you to walk out of here with the directive from the Word of God. Now, the last time that we were together, we left off with the shepherds walking back to their flocks in the fields after visiting baby Jesus right there in the manger there in Bethlehem. They were glorifying God. They were praising God. The question is, did they tell anybody else? (laughs) Most likely they did. If I had to bet, they did. I bet they told everybody everywhere at every opportunity. Isn't that what you do with good news when you receive good news? When you experience good news, you go tell it. And you tell it to anybody. And you tell it anywhere. And you tell it any chance you get. But nevertheless, if we're honest when we look at Scripture here, we actually don't know what they did with it after that. We're left wondering. The Bible didn't tell us what the shepherds did with the good news after they left Jesus. But today I want to take us to focus on a woman that we don't have to wonder about. What did she do with the good news after she received it, after she experienced it, after she was there and heard the good news from Jesus himself and experienced that good news? I'm talking about the woman at the well. And I pray that she would be an encouragement for you today and for me to tell everybody everywhere at every opportunity the Savior has come. You see, about 30 years after Jesus' birth, he had entered into his earthly ministry. And one day he was ministering down in the southern part of Israel that at that time was called Judea. The entire region was called Judea. But he decided that he needed to go to the northern part of Israel, the northern region of Israel, which was called Galilee. And in between Judea and Galilee was the region called Samaria. Now, the shortest path from Judea to Galilee went straight up through Samaria. But the Jews, as you've probably heard over the years, they despised the Samaritans so much that they would go way out of their way. Way east. They would even cross the Jordan River and go up that way so they didn't have to go through Samaria. That's how much they despised the Samaritan. It's kind of like if you lived in Tennessee and you despised the Kentuckians so much that when you wanted to go from Nashville to Cincinnati, you went all the way through West Virginia and Virginia up to Cincinnati, right? The, the, the Tennesseans despised the Kentuckians that much, let's say, right? That, and that's what it was with the Jews. That, that's how much they despised the Samaritans. But Jesus would have none of that. He said, I'm not going around. I'm going through. And so he and his disciples, they walked right out of Judea into, into Samaria. And when they got to the outskirts of a city called Sychar, he was thirsty. Now the disciples, they went on into town to find food, but Jesus, he sat by a well there. And history said that this well had been given to Joseph by his daddy, the patriarch Jacob, a thousand years before. So this has been in the family, so to speak, for a really long time. And Jesus was sitting there by that well around noon when this Samaritan woman came up to draw water. Jesus himself, he had nothing to draw water with. And She did, and so he asked her for a drink, which, as you might imagine, surprised her. Not only was she a woman, but he was a Jew and she was a Samaritan. Apparently, it was just very clear to them. Like, apparently, they could look at one another and see, well, he's a Samaritan and 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 she's a Samaritan and he's a Jew. 
And again, if there's anything she knew about a Jew, it was that they, they despised Samaritans. And so it shocked her when he said, would you give me a drink? But Jesus began to tell her in a roundabout way who he was. John 4, 10, look at that. Jesus answered her after he had asked for a drink and she kind of rebutted. He says this, he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Well, she answers back that he no way could give her a drink. I mean, she's still thinking about real water here, right? He said, nah, you don't have anything to dip water with. And plus, like our father Jacob gave us this will. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Well, Jesus explained to her, no, no, I'm different. In fact, I am greater. I have a greater water source than this well that's right here. Look at verse 13 and 14. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Talking about the well right there. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And for this woman who broke her back every day to carry water and to draw water out of that well. That sounded good to her. Never thirst again. Never have to carry water again. Never have to draw water again. So she said, I want some of that. Give me some of that. And so Jesus is great. Go get your husband and come back and I'll give you this water. But she said, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus affirmed her declaration, but he took it a step further. Look at verse 17 and 18. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. Now at that point, can you imagine? You're kind of trying to be coy with someone or maybe even deceiving them. And all of a sudden they just speak right into truth. I mean, I bet her heart stopped. I bet she Kind of had the wind knocked out of her. I mean, it kind of just lost her breath for a moment. She became speechless there for a moment. I bet her body kind of just went numb. You know how it is like when you've got caught doing something there. She felt exposed. But once she gathered herself, she declared, you must be a prophet. And then she turned it into a theological conversation. It was no longer about water. It was a theological conversation about where the right place is to worship. And Jesus declares to her in verse 21 through 24, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming, he said, when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. Talking about Samaritans and Jews. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And for the first time, she responds back with something that's actually true. Verse 25. I know, she says, that Messiah is coming. He is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And then Jesus drops the biggest truth bomb ever on her in verse 26. I who speak to you am he. In other words, I am the Messiah. I 
am the Christ. I am the one who will guide you to all truth. And when that truth hit her and their conversation was over, you know what she did? She went and told everybody, everywhere, at every opportunity, the Savior had come. Look at 28 and 29. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? She did exactly what you and I should do. We should. We should tell everybody, everywhere, at every opportunity, the Savior has come. And I pray this morning that you and I would let her be an example and an encouragement to us to do that. But in order to be an encouragement to us, I want you to notice a few things. Through the Samaritan woman, that is true for all of us. That is true of God and his desires to use us to tell the world about Jesus Christ. First, through the Samaritan woman, notice that God desires to use common people. Now, this is kind of an argument uh, from silence, but there's nothing in this passage that would indicate that she had any particular education or lineage or, or privilege. There wasn't anything that was seemingly outstanding about her. She was a working girl, right? She was a woman who worked with her hands. She was coming to draw water from the well. And I'm sure on this point, can't we all relate to this? That's who we are, right? You don't hold any particular titles. I don't hold any particular titles. I didn't come from the Vanderbilts or the Rockefellers or the Kennedys. I don't have maids. You don't have maids or attendants. What you have. Your family's worked hard for. But you see, when it comes to the spreading of the gospel, you and I are often duped into believing and deceived into believing that it takes somebody outstanding, somebody extra special to really be used by God. You might say to yourself, why would God want to use me? Man, I'm so common. And God says back to you, that's exactly the type of person I love to use. That's why God told us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26 through 31, he says, he says this, he says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In other words, everybody that comes to the Lord is just a regular person. It's just a regular person. There's nothing special about any of us. Listen, if God wanted to use exceptionally intelligent people or those with Herculean strength or those with earthly royalty, I certainly would be on his list of servants. And I'm guessing you wouldn't be either. But these things, listen, are not in the job description for those that God desires to use. Beloved, God desires to use each and every one of us who are followers of Jesus Christ to spread the good news far and wide. He loves to use common people to tell everybody everywhere at every opportunity 
the Savior has come. Second this morning, through the Samaritan woman, notice that God desires to use imperfect people. Can I get an amen? Right? Think about that. In the midst of of having this massive prophetic theological conversation with Jesus, we get a sneak peek into her life, and her life looks a lot like our lives. Maybe not her specific thing that she struggled with, or maybe not the specific thing that, that, that she was a victim of, whatever word you want to use there, whether she was the perpetrator or the victim. But her life had brokenness in it, just like our lives have brokenness in them. Jesus here, he's telling her about this living water, the water that quenches, uh, that quenches a person's thirst forever. When sort of out of the blue, he tells her to go get her husband and to come back. Now, Jesus knows what he's doing here. He is setting her up. He is letting her, in one sense, expose herself, her, her, her own story to him. She responds, I don't have a husband. And then he gives us a peek into this lady's life the only way Jesus could. He tells her, that's right. You don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five and you're shacking up with somebody right now. She was five times divorced and living in sin. Now, even by 2021 standards, guys, I mean, this is astonishing, okay? And you know what? Again, to be honest, she could have been innocent of every one of those divorces, right? I mean, she, she, it may have been her husband every time that just said, I'm done with this. And she said, no, no, I want to stay with you. But nevertheless, he left. I don't know the situation exactly. Perhaps she had done nothing wrong to bring those things upon herself, but probably not. To say that this woman was imperfect is actually an understatement, isn't it? I mean, she was an outright sinner. Nevertheless, here God is going to use her to spark a gospel revolution in her own town. Now, why would God do that? Because that's what God loves to do. He did not come to save those who are holy and upright, did he? No, no, Mark 2.17. He tells us exactly who he's coming after. Jesus heard it. He said to him, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so Jesus came to and to in turn use sinners to bring people to Christ, to tell the world about Jesus. And so this morning you're sitting here and you might say, you know what? One of the biggest barriers that I have to telling the world that Christ has come is that I feel like I'm imperfect. I feel like I would kind of be a hypocrite telling somebody else that they need Jesus when I need him too. But the truth of the matter is you are just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. You are imperfect. And God wants to perfect you. But in the midst of your imperfection, he desires to use you to point people to the perfect Savior. Your imperfection has nothing to do with whether or not you're going to tell somebody about Jesus. That is a false barrier that you've got to knock down. God desires to use imperfect people. Sinners being saved by grace to tell everybody everywhere at every opportunity, the Savior has come. And then finally this morning through the Samaritan woman, notice that God desires to use local people. Local people. I want you to notice where she took the good news to. Verse 28 and 29, 
So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? She went right to her own city, right there to Sychar. She didn't go to the next city or two cities over or another country or another continent. She went straight to her own city. Now, for a lot of us, oftentimes we think that we are really going on mission when we go somewhere else to tell people about Jesus. Right, East Kentucky or Cincinnati or, or Salt Lake City or, or Mexico or China, Romania, South Africa, Indonesia, Brazil. Like we're really on mission if we go over there and tell people about Jesus. And yeah, we are to go over there. But let me say this to you this morning and, and let her be your example. If you really want to be a missionary, if you really want to embrace the local mission field right where, right where you are, then go reach the mission field where God has you. God desires to use local people to reach local people. Our greatest mission field is right outside these doors. And yeah, all of those other places, they are great mission fields as well. But your primary one is right here where you live. Man, I pray that in 2022, as we close out this year and look ahead to the next, I pray that God would raise up men and women in this congregation as we just do away with all of the past two years and, and worrying about infection and all those things where we can finally, I believe, really open up and really be the fullness in this community that God has called us to be, then I pray that God will raise up men and women who will embrace this missionary lifestyle right here, local missionaries living and reaching local lost people. God desires to use local people to tell everybody everywhere at every opportunity the Savior has come. And guess what will happen if you'll do that? Well, look right here. Look at it with me. We just read this in verse 28 and 29. She left and she went to the people. She said, come see this man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And look what happens in verse 30. They went out of the town and were coming to Jesus. And then skip down to verse 39 through 42. Many Samaritans from that town, the town of Sychar, believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him and they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Many will believe on Jesus. Just like here in this text, many believed on Jesus. How many? I don't know how many, but here's the truth of the matter. I've noticed this over the years. Have you ever noticed the more people I tell about Jesus, the more people get saved. Amen? And if you will get out there this year and faithfully share the good news of Jesus Christ, we will see in our very own city a revolution, we pray. That's what we're praying for, right? Isn't that the vision that we want to see? We want to see spiritual transformation in this region. But that only happens if those who are spiritual 
in Jesus Christ. Go tell this region about Jesus Christ. You need to see this morning that God, oh man, he's put a tremendous opportunity before you. And if you have encountered Jesus in salvation, how could you keep the good news to yourself? People must know. And he loves to use common, imperfect local people to tell people everywhere. We've sang it this Christmas, right? Go tell on the mountain, right? Go tell on the mountain over the hills and everywhere that Jesus Christ is born. But we don't stop there. He lived, he died, he rose again to save all who will come to him in repentance and faith. As Pastor Greg comes, here's my final prayer this morning. May many in our city and community believe in Jesus because we have taken every opportunity to tell the good news. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live and he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.